Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast, where we bring you an unrivaled love and passion for pro wrestling. I'm Kenny Oak, and I'm joined, as always, by my tag team partner, Chris Harris. Chris, how's it going today? What's going on, bubs? Roll a Rumble 2001. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. You know, Roll Rumble 2001, that was uh, definitely one of the better ones. Uh, but today, we'll be doing a paper review. And if you didn't know, that's where we dig deep into the archives to bring you a fresh perspective on a significant pay-per-view in the history of WWE. Uh, today, like we mentioned, we'll be reviewing Royal Rumble 2001. Uh, Easy to say. This is, um, I like the, ro- the Royal Rumble. Wow, I can't even say it. Royal there you Rumble. go, yeah. Each year, because uh, they usually make it a pretty exciting event. This one turned into something a little more exciting than most. Uh, this becomes a bit hardcore at times and uh, has a pretty high finish. So, uh, And throughout the pay-per-view, we get a couple good matches to talk about. So we have a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, that's a, that was a recurring theme through this time. And uh, we noticed it in Backlash 2000, uh, really all through the year 2000 and even through t- 2001. Uh, these pay-per-views had great main events, but uh, what really carried them were the uh, undercard. There's a lot of solid wrestling all around uh, throughout the entire pay-per-view. Yeah, and this one particularly is going to be headlined by the Dudleys and Edge and Christian, as well as Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit. You've heard that before, Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit. This one yeah. will be a ladder match. So uh, the the match of the night will not actually be the Royal Rumble itself, at least in my opinion. It'll be some of the undercard we'll talk about. But uh, this one worthy of being talked about is one of the better uh, Royal Rumbles of the time. Uh, definitely the uh, lead the lead in was really good. Uh, Stone Cold had come back from being out for a full year with, uh, I believe, a neck injury at the time. And uh, that was one of just uh, same with Backlash 2000. Um, Stone Cold coming back was a huge part of the lead up and the build into the pay-per-view and really what sold the pay-per-view as a whole. Yeah, and they kept using the Stone Cold return. He'd won the Royal Rumble two, th- two times before this, so you really weren't, I guess, a, uh, pre- expecting him to win this one for a third time. But uh, as we'll get to, of course, he does end up winning this, if you didn't know. I'd hate to break the news to you early. Spoiler but he alert. Up, he does Jesus, end up winning it. But, uh, yeah, they, they use Stone Cold to sell pay-per-views, and Vince McMahon knows how to use his talent to the – to the top and make money off of it absolutely and uh so uh, why don't we go ahead and just uh jump into this bad boy uh like you mentioned uh the dudley boys uh went up against edge and christian for the tag team titles and i know you're not one for <coughs> you're not one for having uh, a title match let alone uh, the tag team title match lead off the pay-per-view but uh, they really didn't have a choice on this one and it was a great way to lead off the pay-per-view. Yeah, the, the Rumble's a bit a bit different. This one, uh, as far as the card is concerned, I'm completely fine with the Dudleys and Edge of Christian leading this one off because there's only, I think it's four matches on the actual pay-per-view. So this one leading off with the tag team titles was pretty good. they got to get the crowd excited early. So this was a great match to start with, I think. Yeah, and the, the match itself was, it was a pretty solid match. Uh, honestly, I thought it was... A, a little sloppy, but I think that just was because they were only given about nine to ten minutes to work. But all in all, it, it was a pretty solid match. Uh, the lead-in to it, uh, you had Edge and Christian uh, give the double concerto to the Dudleys, which uh, caused concussion issues. So uh, 
head trauma and concussions were a huge part of the build to this one. Yeah, and, and if you're not familiar with Edge and Christian doing the concerto to people in this this stick that the Edge and, Edge and Christian were using at the time, go ahead and look this up because this is pretty good stuff they were working at the time. The match was pretty solid. Uh, I did feel like they were a little shortchanged on time. It felt a little bit rushed, but uh, both teams are really good. They put in pretty good work. We saw a lot of heel, heel tags, uh, a denial of a hot tag to Bubba Dudley, and several pretty good spots in the match and this match turned out to be pretty good yeah with uh when you have these four in the ring you know it's going to be a good match regardless uh bringing up the the heel tactics you had the uh classic edge and christian trying to uh run away uh, as soon as the match starts just try to leave and just you know we're we don't need this we're not we're just going to keep our titles and and get out of here but uh the fans were definitely into this match and it, it's crazy to think that you know such an over babyface team like Edge and Christian were uh, became really good heels and and then the flip side of that the Dudleys who were a really good heel team you know crowd got behind them they became a very good uh, babyface team that's a great point by default you think the Dudleys are kind of a heel team and Edge and Christian are the face but in, in this time they were the opposites and the Dudleys were the face and Edge and Christian were doing a bunch of heel tactic, tactics to try and get the crowd against them, and they were really good at it. And Edge did that great throughout his career. Nothing against Christian, but Edge became a little more known for it. And uh, we see that throughout the match. Several heel tags, uh, the denial of Bubba Dudley getting in the ring on a really hot tag. The ref didn't see it. So it was really well worked. The crowd really got into it, and they liked it, I think, most of the match, actually. Yeah, they really The crowd was definitely into it the entire match. Uh, one thing I like to bring up is uh, funny, funny JR-isms, and uh, this match definitely had a really good one. Uh, at one point, uh, the King, Jerry Lawler, says he, that he loves when Edge talks trash, and so JR quips back with, uh, does that get you aroused? You say you love it so much. Uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> JR really is the best there ever was. Yeah, the back and forth between JR and the King, I think, is is never going to be matched again. We, we, we still want that to this day. We're never going to get it again, obviously, we all think. But uh, during this time, you really got to go back and listen to just the stuff they say, let alone the match by itself is one thing, but the commentary alone is another piece. It's just <laughs> yeah, gold by absolutely. And, uh, you know, we brought up the uh, concertos, and, you know, yeah, definitely go in and look that up. Uh, that was some great work by Edge and Christian, but uh, that's something that, Nowadays, you just won't ever see again, at least in the in the WWE. Yeah, you won't see it televised, especially, and that that goes with uh, talking about currently Brock Lesnar versus Randy Orton. You see a lot of uh, blood in their matches currently. They're doing house shows that are not really televised on the network because they're doing things like that that are they're not shown on the PG rating that you see of wrestling anymore. So. This was a time where you could really appreciate not only the work in the ring, but some of the extra stuff that the guys did, including the chairs and some of the weapons to make the matches really get over. Right, and uh, back to the uh, ending of the match, you had Edge and Christian try to go for the uh, concerto on Devon. He gets out of the way, gets the uh, hot tag on Bubba. Bubba Ray comes in uh, and finishes finishes the show on uh, Edge and Christian and the Dudleys end up winning taking the titles away from Edge and Christian 
This is something I noticed when I watched this. I had to look, I had to rewind about two or three times to make sure I wasn't crazy on this. But uh, at the end of the match, Bubba Dudley goes for a pin because uh, he's the legal man. And Mike Kyoto, the referee, is counting it. But uh, you'll notice that Devon Dudley gets the actual one, two, three count at the end, but he was never the legal man. So you'll see that it. <laughs> In booking, <laughs> it really doesn't matter who's the legal man. So after they yeah. hit the after they hit the three D, even though Bubba's the legal man, Devon gets the cover. But Mike Kyoto could care less, and he just counts the three regardless. <laughs> and the Dudleys walk out tag team champs in a really good match. Yeah, Mike, Mike Kyoto knew who was supposed to win, and uh, he just went for it. Yeah, great and, uh, referee. We'll, we'll that's get why he we'll became, get more into uh, yeah. That's why he became senior referee when Earl Hebner left. He he really knew how to just go ahead and just go with the flow of the match, make sure everything got over, and he, he did it right. Yeah, and uh, we'll actually get to Earl Hebner later on in the uh, Triple H-Kurt Angle match. But, uh, yep, tag team match was really good. And then uh, after this, there was a couple backstage segments. Uh, Michael Cole did, a, uh, did an interview, and golly, what was going on with Michael Cole's hair? Uh, he looked like the typical late 90s grunge kid. Right. Can we talk about that for a second? Because he had frosted tips on his dark brown <laughs> hair, and he was young, and he was a he was a up-and-coming guy. He was starting to do, I think, I think he was doing play-by-play at the time for SmackDown a little bit, and he was also doing backstage interviews, and this was perfect. Now that I look back, I, I, I stared at his hair. I could care less what The Rock or anyone else really had to say, but I would be staring at his hair like... Michael Cole, what year is this, man? Yeah, the, the hair was absolutely atrocious. Uh, but after that, we went to uh, went to the first Drew Carey uh, segment backstage. And uh, this is something that I definitely have an issue with. But uh, I just I just didn't feel like he was uh, – he didn't really fit the whole environment talking to Stephanie and Triple H in the locker room. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to argue with you there, but you have to understand Vince's perspective here of trying to reach different different audiences, people that really could care less about your wrestling, and they want, they care more about you know comedy and things that are going on on late night TV. And Drew Carey at the time was kind of the guy, you know, he was he was doing. Well, he had the Drew Carey show, and then yeah, he had the uh, improv. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and then he did his pay-per-view, which he obviously dropped the name of several times on here, really overtly, without yes. trying to cover it much. But, uh, I mean, this is a ploy by Vince, you know, to try to reach a different perspective, I think. And I understand you having a problem with that, because it, uh, it eventually leads to a little diminishment of talent but by bringing in a celebrity. Yeah, no, okay. I'm, you know what? I'm definitely glad you brought that up, because I'm kind of going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. Uh Vince has an over-reliance sometime on bringing in celebrities to try and get that casual viewer in. And you know what? Yeah, that's okay for the temporary you know, boost in ratings that you're going to get. But damn it if Vince doesn't just like to throw those celebrities in the ring and uh, beat up on his, his trained professional talent. And uh, one, one, of the, one of the big... Uh, ones that comes to mind real quick is uh, Stephen Amell when he went up against uh, Stardust. Okay. Uh, Cody Rhodes. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, because if you didn't know who Stardust was, that was actually Cody Rhodes. Oh, if no anyone way. didn't know, oh. yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, he brings in this untrained uh, actor, Stephen Amell, to and actually books him to beat Cody Rhodes. You know, someone who had all the potential in the world to be a world champion. And you know, I get it. You want to bring some of his fans for his show, I believe Arrow. But in the long run, you're hurting the credibility of your talent. You know, they see they see Stardust lose to Stephen Amell. They're not going to expect him to get a big win. After that, uh, it's just, damn it, Vince. That's oh, I just. Not that's a pretty it, good it, example. It gets me bucks. That's a good example because we've seen what has happened since then. We know that Cody Rhodes wasn't a fan of the Stardust character, let alone losing to an actor who has no, you know professional training whatsoever in any type of wrestling or sports entertainment so you really do diminish him and you take away any credibility of what that character can become so if you were to believe that stardust was to go after some type of title against another another performer on a show you'd be like well no i don't believe that because he lost to an actor so i i mean i get i get your point what you're saying there yeah and it's happened way more times than that and uh that's just one of the examples I'm going to bring up because I could do an entire show on the celebrity effect in WWE, but I just wanted to get that out there, just how it just it, it grinds at me, it pisses me off, because in the long run, you're hurting your talent, you're hurting the, the actual wrestling fans who are going to watch week in and week out. But, uh, yeah, that that's all I'm going to say on that. But, I mean, I think you should look at it from Vince's perspective. Vince looks at things from... How can I make money off of this thing? I mean, we've talked about Pete Rose before. He made money off of Pete Rose. He made money off of Drew Carey. He made money off of several other prior performers coming in. He made money off of them at, at that moment. However, in the long run, he no longer can make money off of that performer that he jobbed out to some celebrity. I, you're going to lose the your actual meat and potatoes, which are your hardcore fans, the actual wrestling fans, and they're going to get fed up and they're just going to stop watching, and you're definitely seeing that now. Yeah, and I, I get your point with Amel, because that definitely happened, but you can't say the same about Pete Rose, and you can't say the same about Drew Carey, because they didn't do anything in the ring. They got, you know, destroyed or intimidated you're by right. Kane. And I, and I think I think Drew Carey. Uh, I'm not saying anything bad about Drew Carey. Uh, he actually did a really good job. He, he sure he took up a spot in the Rumble, but he went in there. He uh, he didn't want to get involved with any of the wrestlers because he knew he would get hurt. And then when Kane came out, he just took himself out. Yeah, yeah. And Kane came out. That was a really good, but, uh, really good setup of the of the order entry. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But Kane came out right after Drew Carey and kind of and lit the turnbuckles on fire with his fire and all that stuff and it was pretty good stuff. We'll get into that in a little bit though. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. We kind of got off on a little tangent there, yeah, but uh, happen. back to tangents the happen. back to the pay-per-view and then the next segment. Yes. Yes, they do. Uh, next we got an awesome APA segment and I I love these backstage segments with APA and I'm pretty sure they were actually drinking. Yeah, those cigars were not lit up, but I'm pretty sure they were actually drinking. 
Yeah, Ron Simmons and John Layfield are legitimate drinkers. They go to bars after their shows. In between shows on the road, they go to the bars and they drink. So this was real. This was at a time where it was allowed, you know. You know, Vince now puts yeah. a little PG segment on some of these things so there there wouldn't be real beer in the cans or something like that. But at a time like this, this was real beer and this was really happening. Yeah, and then uh, Crash comes in and he... I'm, I don't know if he was on on something at the moment, but he comes in and just starts threatening APA, saying, "You know, we're friends, but you know, if you if you come after me, I'm gonna throw your butts over." And I got a good chuckle out of Crash. Yeah, because Crash can intimidate anybody, let alone the acolytes. <laughs> He's 400 pounds, though. No, he is. He does, he does weigh a lot, but it's all alleged. He's never been validated. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, he refused to step on a scale. Yeah, he wouldn't. He would never do that. But uh, anyway, on, on to the uh, on, on to the next match, which was uh, a fantastic match. Probably one of the top five one-on-one ladder matches uh, in history, and that was with uh, between Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit. And uh, we actually, in our last paper review on Backlash 2000, reviewed these guys. Going for Chris Benoit's Intercontinental Championship with Chris Benoit as the heel, Chris Jericho as the as the chasing face, and we have it here again. And once again, they put on a fantastic show. Yeah, these guys had a bit of an on and off, you know, feud for for the whole year, and even a little bit after this. This was a great rivalry that Vince continually used to try to get pay per views over because it worked because Benoit and Jericho could both work together. They had chemistry, like we've said before. They could work with each other, and you said it exactly. Top five one-on-one ladder matches of all time. This one had it right here. It had a little bit of everything in it. Uh, yeah, this uh, match definitely reminded me of the uh, old-school HBK versus Razor Ramon ladder matches for the Intercontinental Championship uh, because there wasn't a, a large reliance on high spots like there was at that time in ladder matches, uh, like with the triangle ladder matches. But uh, they, they really used the ladder uh, as an extension of themselves, not really not really as a high spot weapon, but as kind of an extension of themselves, using it as you know a weapon, uh, using it to, to inflict uh, effective damage on each other and not really putting their own bodies at risk for the sake of getting a cheap pop from the crowd yeah yeah, i like how you put it as an as an extension because there's several spots in this match but it's not necessarily using the ladder to climb up and and jump off of to land on somebody they use it as a weapon these use it as a means to to hurt their opponent and even without the ladder this one becomes uh not necessarily a spot fest but there's a lot of stuff that they set up in this match that you could tell, including several other weapons, even a chair for Chris Jericho's benefit, that this one really becomes a really solid match from spot perspective, and even a technical match, which you expect from a guy like Jericho and Benoit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you had you had different spots with, like, uh, one of my favorites was when Jericho sets up the ladder on the uh, turnbuckle, but then Benoit throws him against the ladder, and he flies out the ring. Then he grabs a chair, and Benoit does the uh, suicide dive, and Jericho just cracks him on the skull with a with a steel chair. That was just a great sequence. Oh yeah, and I love the I love the. This you was the that first one ladder match for the Intercontinental Title on pay per view 
1998 SummerSlam between Triple H and Rock, which was another great ladder match. That's one of my favorites. One of my first early memories, actually, is Triple H versus The Rock in that ladder match. A lot of, a lot of great stuff in that match. I love just rewatching that one from time to time. Uh, like you said, Jericho gets a full-on baseball swing with that chair when Benoit dives out of the ring. Benoit, known for being a guy who dives out of the ring and, and hits his opponents into that uh, that barricade, but Jericho just happened to have a chair, and it's one of those moments where Jericho, or excuse me, Benoit just takes it right to the face, and it's one of those great spots where it's loud and it really excites the crowd and really gets them into it. Uh, the next really great sequence uh, in that match was. Uh, at the top of the ladder where Jericho puts uh, Benoit into the pseudo uh, lion tamer or uh, walls of Jericho uh, on the ladder, that was that was a, that was probably the best spot of the match. Oh yeah, that was the that was the spot of the match. It's near towards the end. I think Jr. actually calls it a tarantula because it does kind of look like a modified tarantula that you'd see uh, Tajiri use. I think in the, he called in, it in, uh, a. Uh, an octopus actually okay then yeah it's something you'd see that's used uh, in the ropes to kind of used as a modified submission move but it is an attempted uh walls jericho by jericho on the top of the ladder great spot that they set up a lot of stuff before this as well jericho and benoit both using the ladder as a weapon and then we're talking early 2000s here where ladder matches really started to come about and the the ladder became one of the true weapons that were used in many in many matches and uh, I'm glad you brought up JR because uh, throughout this match and throughout the entire pay-per-view, there was a lot of XFL references. Uh, anytime someone would uh, kick someone, he would, uh, he would bring up XFL. Anytime uh, anyone would be in the air, it, it was XFL this, XFL that. Uh, it's just fun. It's, it's fun to go back in time and, and hear references like that and wonder, like, especially if you don't remember that time period. Uh, you might think, what is XFL? And uh, that might be a topic for another day, but I definitely I recommend you going and Googling what XFL is. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, this is worth another segment in itself, but uh, JR and King, you know, they were both told to go ahead and anytime it comes up, go ahead and put over XFL the best you can because this was when Vince McMahon and a couple of his other corporate cronies were legitimately trying to compete with the NFL in another type of football league, the Extreme Football League. And uh, it didn't last, but it was worth looking into because there were several things that occurred in the, the inaugural season of the XFL. But uh, JR trying his best to put over something. Yeah. He, can, he can put over anything, honestly. Yeah, he, he tried his best, but we all know that that just didn't work. Uh, but after, after the match, Jericho wins, climbs up, grabs the title... Uh, backstage, he gets interviewed by uh, Frost Tip Cole, uh, and one one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that Jericho, as a face, was never really that great on the mic. Uh, he he just never seemed comfortable being a face on the mic. Yeah, I, I could agree with you. Um, I would say he's definitely one of the top guys on either face or heel whatever direction he's going, but you and I would both agree that he's one of the best heels of all time, but uh, he'd much rather be talking trash than trying to be the good guy and talk down on a guy like Crispin. Uh, okay, so after that match, uh, next match, another championship match, it was uh, Ivory defending the title, uh, the women's title. 
against China. And at this time, Ivory was part of uh, Rights to Censor. She had uh, Stephen Richards out there with her. And I didn't really do a lot of notes for this match. And in fact, I didn't really... This match was kind of just a squash, but the person doing the squash lost in the end. But they, they were really... Because the lead in, China had a hurt neck. Uh... And then they, they really tried to sell this neck injury to her, which then led to a big WrestleMania uh, comeback and win for her. But this whole match was really just a, a build to that, where they where they sold this uh, really bad neck injury that China had. And even after the match, the, the announcers did a really good job making it seem really serious and uh, really had a lot of people worried about what, what had happened to China. Yeah, and I'll sell this one a little bit because I had a little more appreciation than I think you will for this one. Uh, they, they do sell China pretty hard on this injury. She takes a spike pile driver from Val Venus, and I'll take any opportunity to talk about some of these Attitude Era guys who are really putting in work like Val Venus. Venus hits her with a spike pile driver. She goes out with injury, and it leads to a segment of, uh, of mock interviews where Ivory is acting as China, and I think it's Val Venus acting as an impersonator of JR. He's wearing a cowboy hat, and it's a little bit hilarious, but it's it's not too much. But in the end, it ends up leading to a WrestleMania moment for China where she wins the women's title. And even with that, I don't appreciate her winning the women's title. I always looked at her as a legitimate intercontinental champion because she had her feud with Chris Jericho, which was pretty good at the time. So to bring her down to the women's title, I think, was a little bit demeaning because she was always above that. But nevertheless, she did get her women's championship victory at WrestleMania after this uh, pay-per-view. But uh, the storyline leading up this was pretty good, but uh, the ending I didn't like. They, but it was all to set up WrestleMania a couple months after this this pay-per-view yeah and then unfortunately uh yeah she gets the win at wrestlemania wins the title but just a few months later she's completely out of the company and that was really the last time we would ever see china inside uh the wwe which is uh which is pretty sad exactly and it it seems like we're getting into a routine here of talking about you know what could have been with all these people considering our backlash 2000 when we talked about chris benoit but uh china has since passed away she is easily the most dominant woman's wrestler ever. I think that goes without saying. Ever. But um, she had her moments. She should have had several more. But, um, I mean, life writes itself. So here we are. All right. So uh, after that match, uh, we got uh, the next match. And there was a couple backstage segments to set this up. But it was uh, Kurt Angle, the defending champ with Trish Stratus in his corner. Uh, going up against Triple H with, of course, Stephanie McMahon, Helmsley in his corner. And uh, I really did not like the lead-up to this match. I hated how Trish Stratus was involved. I hated the whole her dating Vince thing and then her feuding with Stephanie. It just keep, keep that out of the main event, out of the title picture. And I agree with you. You you've voiced, you've voiced this to me before. This match was much more, for some reason, about Trish Stratus and Vince McMahon and Stephanie McMahon than it was Kurt Angle versus Triple H. Because the match itself was it was good. It was a little bit underwhelming from two guys who you'd expect to put on great matches. But the storyline, even in the match, came down to Trish 
and Stephanie and Vince would come out and it was all kind of, you know, you could expect it a little bit. And this this main event, as it were, for at least the singles perspective, it wasn't very good. Damn it, Vince. If you could just keep yourself out of a story, main event storyline for just, just a second, that would be fantastic. And then when he comes out to... He, he just had to come out, break up Trish and Stephanie's fight, and then he carries Trish out from the from the ring area. Uh, Stephanie, it was just, it was trash in my opinion. It it, it, it took a, a good above average match and kind of made it a little little average to below average. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue argue with you on this one. Um, Vince coming out was, I mean, I, I was expecting it the whole time because you knew that Trish and Stephanie were going to get involved. Had they not been involved, I think Kurt and Triple H could have put on a pretty good match because these are both really good in-ring guys. The match became pretty technical inside with Kurt Angle doing a whole bunch of suplexes and things like that. But, I mean, you never saw Triple H winning this match to go on to, to WrestleMania even this early before WrestleMania. So... I really didn't like it. I mean, I expected Kurt to win by some type of DQ or something like that, and it turns out we got Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, that was definitely the uh, the highlight of this match. Uh, there was a couple really good spots, uh, and and Earl, you know, I, I know you're old, but uh, Triple H hits Kurt Angle outside the ring with a steel chair, and then Earl looks at him sees the chair right next to him and he was standing right next to him you know he heard it <laughs> but he's like oh I, I didn't see anything I'm old yeah Earl I'm super old Earl. Earl super old Earl Hebner <laughs> yeah uh, yeah then, then that brawl happened but then then yeah Earl Earl takes a few bumps quite a few bumps in this match he gets his head slammed into the barricade gets his head slammed into the uh, ring steps uh, but he's down and that's when Stone Cold takes the time to come in and uh, beat the bricks off of Triple H, uh, busting him, busting him open. Uh, and th- and this all stemmed from three weeks before uh, Stone Cold was wrestling Kurt Angle for the championship, and Triple H came out and uh, prevented him from winning the title. So that that's kind of where all of that stemmed from, and where the uh, action in the Royal Rumble match uh, stemmed from. Prior to this, you see Triple H costing Austin the the world title. He could have beaten Kurt Angle for the WWF Championship. And this eventually leads to uh, the No Way Out pay-per-view the next month when they have one of the most, you know, talked about two out of three falls matches between Triple H and... It was an amazing match. It really was. And Triple H ends up winning it when they both collide with a weapon. And I really liked it. I love watching the match over and over. And uh, this is the setup to that, really. And uh, it was a good setup. And and then Stone Cold uh, hits Triple H with the stunner. Triple H sells it for about uh, two minutes. Uh, Kurt Angle crawls over, puts an arm on Triple H, and uh, Earl counts three for about another two minutes uh, with his <laughs> slow-ass count that he likes to do when right. he's dead. Very well said. <laughs> Damn it, Earl. What are you doing? Anyway... Uh, Kurt Angle retains. Like you said, didn't really expect it to go any other way. But you also didn't really expect at the time for Kurt Angle to go on to WrestleMania and headline. So you kind of knew something was going to be happening before WrestleMania. Yeah, even though Kurt Angle was the champion here, he would lose to 
the Rock at No Way Out, which they wanted to set up Rock versus Austin again. But this was the the preliminary early run by Kurt Angle to be one of the one of the better champions of all time, and in my opinion, the best in ring technical performer of all time. I'm a big Kurt Angle mark. I'll tell you this day in and day out. Yes, you are. But, yes, you uh, are. This and, was uh, uh, part we'll of get the to early that later. Run. Yeah, we will. This was the early run by Kurt Angle beating Triple H to add to his credibility and build his resume a little bit. But he would lose to The Rock eventually. But this was a this wasn't a match that Triple H was going to win regardless. No, and uh, it's a far cry from a year ago. And they, they talk about how he had the, the most dominant first year ever. But uh, if you remember from our Backlash review, uh, he got squashed by Big Show uh, not even a year before. So it's good to see that he rebounded from that. Yeah, I'd still say he has the best dominant first year ever, but that squash match kind of put a damper on things, and you're like, well, maybe he's going to be nobody, but he, he ends up being a pretty good champion and eventually goes on to great things, nevertheless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one one of the best in-ring technicians, I'll just say that. We'll argue about one it One of. Okay, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that, that, we might get distracted. Anyway, uh, backstage... Uh, Rock, Rock once again, as always, cuts a great promo. Uh, had me rolling. He's just—he's one of the best on the mic of all time. But uh, now, now we're getting into the into the main event, into into the big match. It's the it's the namesake. It's the Royal Rumble match. Yeah, and in this one, I'd like to say that the the video package lead up into this match was one of the most exciting and, I guess best video packages they really got me psyched for a royal rumble and i love every and had you, and every had you thinking rumble. guys like uh, hardcore holly were gonna win yeah and because i mean i'm a mark for hardcore holly and i like guys like that but this was <laughs> this had me thinking maybe kane could win undertaker rock uh austin this had me thinking all kinds of different ways where i didn't think anybody could win before where the year before at 2000 i was like oh i'm certain rock's gonna win but this year i was like Oh God, I don't I don't know where to go. But this video package, regardless, is really good. Right right before the match, and and that's definitely what uh, lends uh, to this pay per view and, and the Royal Rumble match being so good is that you had that unpredictability. There was so much main event talent in this uh, in this Royal Rumble match that you you sit there and you try and think you know logically who's going to win. And of course, Stone Cold's the first name that comes up. But then you think. You know, Undertaker, you know, the American badass, he he has a shot at this. Uh, Kane's always dominant. You know, they never you never know if they're going to pull the trigger on him. Uh, there were so many on The Rock. There was just so many options uh, going into this one. Yeah, and this match really made me believe. And th- this, cat, this match is the definition of Kane's career. Kane is dominant throughout this Royal Rumble, yet he ends up being the last person eliminated after eliminating 11 people. You know, he never really got the recognition he deserved. I will say that day in and day out, every chance I get. But uh, it had me thinking that maybe this was Kane's Royal Rumble, but at the end, who else but the guy who can sell tickets, Stone Cold Steve Austin? Well, of course. You, 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 knew, you knew at the end of the day uh, it was going to be someone like stone cold who they trusted more than anybody else to to sell tickets sell pay-per-views to sell out arenas uh you you didn't think that the rock was going to win you know back-to-back rumbles but still they made you think the booking was fantastic for this uh the way they portrayed kane so dominantly 
uh, it, it was booked to perfection. Uh, the entire match was. And uh, if you don't mind, uh, why don't we go ahead and jump into this match? Yeah, it's a pretty good match. So let's go ahead and dive into it. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing we knew, we knew Rikishi was going to be uh, number thirty. That's right. We didn't really think. Yeah, we, or at least I didn't really think anything was going to come of that. But I, I guess there were some people who thought maybe he would have a shot. Uh, however, nope. the I first mean, two. Me and you inch- have talked about this before. Rikishi had been. Uh, he was the driver in the injury of Stone Cold, so maybe somehow he was going to get right. some magical push. So for them to paint him as number thirty kind of added to that uh, that disbelief that I mean, would they really push a guy like this? So it made you watch. It made you really think and hang out to the last bit. And I mean, I never thought he was going to win it, but for them to bring him in at number thirty, I think was pretty good. Yeah, you're right, and that's something that I was uh, talking to someone earlier today about. Just. Uh what's wrong with the product now is that they had these long storylines back then these long drawn out multi-layered uh, storylines that had you guess from start to finish and uh, the way the way they would interweave them into different pay-per-views into different into other storylines it was it was a work of magic and it had had you thinking guys like Rikishi you know like hey he's he's been involved in some main event storylines and he was also in uh, some main events for the title you know this this could be his time you never know yeah, and I love the I love the role that they had uh, Kane play in this matchup. He eliminated a whole bunch of dudes, a record that lasted for a long time. He's one of the most dominant guys ever, and uh, I guess Roman. He's, yeah, too bad for Roman. But uh, all records are made to be broken, I guess. But he had a dominant run in this hardcore Royal Rumble, as we'll get to here in just a second. But uh, he lasted until the last man, and you can never really beat Stone Cold Steve. No, because because Stone Cold won't let you. Uh, anyway, uh, the match starts. Jeff Hardy and Bull Buchanan are one and two, and uh, that's uh, that's real exciting stuff there. Not not really the best way to start, well, in my opinion. <laughs> you know that most of these start off with a jobber, or they either start out with a jobber guy who you know who doesn't, who has no chance of winning, or they start out with a guy like Chris Benoit who's like, oh man, I could I could kind of believe that, or uh, Shawn Michaels where you're like, could he go all the way? But you knew that Jeff Hardy at the time, or Bull Buchanan, wasn't going to go the distance in this game. No. And then uh, Matt Hardy comes out, and they eliminate Bull Buchanan, and then they start wrestling each other. They take they take their shirts off, and that sends the crowd into a frenzy because yeah, the girls were all the about 90s, that one. 2000s. Yeah. Uh, I like how Jeff wore his like a uh, like a like a prep. Like he wore the sweater <laughs> around his waist. Yeah, he tied it around his waist, I remember. That's what got yeah. him eliminated, because Matt <laughs> pulled him off with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, Jeff and Matt were very sloppy in the ring against each other. There was some, there was some definitely some spots where things just were not going their way. Yeah, Jeff goes for and an I, attempted uh, drop kick the on a rebound kick off over. of Matt Hardy, and Matt Hardy doesn't catch any of the drop kick off the rebound <laughs> from the ropes, and he acts and like he gets hit. <laughs> He sold it though, and I'm like, "All right, Matt, go ahead, sell your shit, whatever, man. I'll believe you." Yeah. So, all these guys are in. Drew Drew Carey comes in. Yeah, uh, Drew, I believe Drew's out number five. Yeah. Five. Yeah. And so he's in there with with the Hardys, uh, and then and then Kane. Uh, I believe Kane was six. Kane was right. Six. Kane came. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Kane comes in clears the well actually no matt and jeff take each other out 
then yeah, Drew Kane carries comes alone in. by himself in the ring, and yeah. then Kane comes and out he's and his kind of stalks him congratulatory like hand. And he tries to offer him money. And yeah. why are you going to try and give Kane money? He sells Kane. insurance. He's got plenty of money. Yeah, Kane doesn't know what you're doing. Just get out of the ring, Drew. <laughs> but Drew, Drew tried. This was a a marketing pitch, and uh, Kane lit the fire on the turnbuckles, and Drew Drew eliminated himself. My God, I hated this. Yeah. Well, this was after Ra- Raven comes out and makes the save because uh, Drew was going to get choke slam, but Raven of all people That's then right, comes Raven. out, and makes the save, and then, and then Drew then eliminates himself. And the, and when Raven comes out was really when you see the pace start to pick up because this is when he oh, yeah. he was the hardcore champion at the time I think, and you see Pat, yes, uh, Perry Saturn, Al Snow, Honky Tonk Man. We'll talk about that in a second, but Perry Saturn, Black oh, Man. Grandmaster Sexy, they turn this into the hardcore hardcore Royal Rumble where Kane really takes advantage of the weapons in the ring. Yeah, you, you had all those guys come in. They're just blasting each other with stop signs, trash can lids. Uh, Steve Blackman comes out and has all his martial arts. I, you know, I like Steve Blackman. You know, I like Blackman he was, too. He had it. zero person. <laughs> damn it, Vince. He, he deserves something. Damn it, Vince. Hashtag damn it, Vince. Yeah, I'll never get a job like that. But uh, this match, uh, it it really becomes a hardcore piece. They just start hitting each other with shit until Kane decides, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna eliminate everybody in the ring, and this sets up the number twelve entrance, which is the honky. I'm a honky tonk man. Yeah, he's a honky tonk man. And the honky honky comes out. He's got his goddamn guitar with him, and he hops in the ring. And uh, honky comes out. He's gonna play himself a song and. Kane decides to, oh, you know, I'm not about that life, and he hits him with his guitar, and it's a pretty good little moment there, and Honky gets eliminated by Kane, which sets up the number 13 entrance. Why do you keep really calling him Honky? It's killing me, boss. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Honky doesn't last long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sets up number 13, fuck. which is The Rock, which I, I wasn't ready for The Rock to come out so early. Usually you see... Some of your heavy, some your heavyweight guys come out in uh you know twenty to twenty five range and even later and the Rock comes out at thirteen to go one on one with Kane. Undertaker, you know, he doesn't come out till later. Uh, Stone Cold doesn't come out till the mid twenties. But the Rock coming out and it definitely it, it got the crowd uh, definitely into it because uh, Kane had been dominating and they were eating that up. Uh, Kane was definitely over at the time, but then. The Rock comes out, and that that gets the crowd going. But they're also thinking, okay, now things are about to get serious, because you got The Rock and you got Kane, who's just been dominating. Uh, Kane eliminates six people in a row at one point. Yeah, that that's set up for the uh, Rumble to definitely uh, think business is about to pick up, as Jr. would say. Right, and uh, after The Rock, you see a bunch of mid card guys. You, but I mean, this is really about Kane. Kane eliminates eleven people. Throughout this whole process, after the Rock at 13, you see the Good Father, Taz, Bradshaw, Albert, Bob Holly, K. Quick, Val Venus, William Regal, Tess. The the the, the young rookie K. Quick. That's right. K. Quick turns out Whatever to be something pretty. To he turns out to be you know something pretty entertaining in his later years. But uh, leading up to all to number 23 entrance, uh, which was the Big Show, and the Big Show came in, and the Big Show was uh, yeah. he was trying to work. Yeah, the, the Big Show had been gone for a few months, and uh, the crowd actually uh, popped for him coming out, and he just comes storming into the ring and just choke, choke slammed every single person that was in that ring. All those people you named off, 
where we're just getting choke slam left and right. Uh, but then he tries to choke slam the Rock, who then uh, kicks him in the uh, family jewels, uh, kicks him in the old grapefruits, and then uh, eliminates him. And then that's when Big Show uh, definitely got uh, got got pretty angry, pulls the Rock out, and just destroys the Rock. And uh, this is where they definitely uh, booked book Rock as a true babyface. Uh, he was being he was being targeted by all the heels. All the heels uh, kept trying to eliminate him. Uh, they kept beating on him, and then the Big Show coming out and just sending him through the table. That uh, that put the icing on the uh, babyface booking cake there. Yeah, and The Rock is easily one of the best booked babyfaces, true baby, true babyfaces. After he turned, uh, he held that for years, and then the Big Show put him through the table, and then we see the Undertaker come out at number twenty-five, and we see. Kane and The Undertaker kind of forming this unspoken bond between each other of the Brothers of Destruction where they're they're double choke slamming Scotty too hotty and everybody's eliminated eliminated and they're standing in the ring together waiting for the next competitor and that's when we get number 27. Yeah and uh, before this you're thinking okay Rock's definitely getting beat up now he's definitely getting set up for that heroic comeback you know, may- maybe this is the Rock's time. You know, they're booking him as that babyface that's going to come back against all odds. The fans are going to eat it up, and he's going to win this Rumble. Uh, however, like you said, uh, number 27, uh, Stone Cold, comes out. And he doesn't even make it to the ring before Triple H comes out and uh, serves him up some uh, some revenge uh, for what he did in the title match. And he... He beats the bricks off Stone Cold uh, left and right, and they had to bring in five to six referees to pull him off. It was, it was definitely the same booking they were doing for The Rock just earlier. They did the same thing for Stone Cold when he came out. Yeah, and I remember watching this like as it happened back in 2001. I'm like thinking, there's no way Austin's going to win this match. Like, this is just setting up to a feud between him and Triple H because Austin was bloodied and everything, and Austin is pretty much down for the count. And you get guys like Billy Gunn, who I'm a big mark for, and, you know, Haku of all people, they come in and fill yeah, the that, ring. Yeah, the, cra- the, the crowd definitely didn't give the reaction that they were hoping for with Haku. Yeah, Haku was a bit of a failed attempt. It was definitely but, just for Rikishi. Yeah, and uh, I, I was really ro- waiting for The Rock at this point, because I remember watching it, like I said, when this was happening, I was like, well, Rock's gonna come back and win this thing, he has to. But uh, Austin ends up recovering a little bit and getting himself in the ring. And Billy Gunn, like I said, comes in at 28, Haku at 29. And Austin eventually recovers and finds himself in the ring. Well, it, was, uh, it wasn't until Rikishi came out at 30 that uh, he walked by. He looked at Stone Cold, kind of gave him like a, like a menacing look. And then was like, oh, I'm gonna, let me beat him up some more. And that's when Stone Cold came to life and uh, opened up a can of whoop-ass on, uh, on Rikishi. Uh, put him into the ring and just uh, that's when Stone Cold started to just go into town yeah and go to town as the end, town. he was already heading to town as the end of this was happening like I had no idea where this was going for a finish because you had the rock laying there who was not out but he was you know you know down and out on the top uh, from the table and uh, you had Kane and the you had the Undertaker in the ring and you had Austin recovering and you had a guy like Rikishi coming in at 30 and you have an X Factor like Billy Gunn and I'm thinking well God I don't know who the, who the hell is going to win this thing where are they going with it this was really good booking in my opinion I mean we we knew Billy Gunn wasn't going to right going to win I'm just this a but for Billy he, Gunn. he I'll was say that every in the time. final four of them 
Yeah, and, and he did find himself in the uh, final four. Right. Uh, he was he was the next one eliminated, though. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to bring up, how good was Taker's running DDT that he did, where he just jumped five feet into the air and did the DDT. I, I love that thing. And Yeah, this is definitely something he did much more as the American badass version of him than he did as the as the true Undertaker, if you will. That running DDT was menacing when the opponent would whip in, whip him into the ropes and then, then they'd bend down to try to back body drop him and he'd hit him with a running DDT. I mean, Undertaker, this is my favorite version of The Undertaker, even though the WWE <laughs> seems to bury it. Right, and it, it, it gets a lot of a flack from people because people just love the original, you know, the dead man, but I loved Biker Undertaker. I loved... You know the big, the big dog. You know, I, the American badass. Everything about the character was just awesome. And yeah, this was he original was a Mark fantastic heel. This is why he was so good at it because right. this was really him. You know, this was Mark Calloway playing his role, but being called the Undertaker, and he was really good at it. And he was a great heel for a couple of years until they decided to kind of drop the gimmick and turn him into the dead man again. But I loved it regardless. Yeah, and he had that classic ladder match on Raw with uh, Jeff Hardy. The Jeff Hardy, uh, that was great definitely match. One. Yes. For a second Absolutely. in my life, I, I, I thought Jeff Hardy could have won. He hit him with the yeah. chair, and JR was selling it. He said, climb the your damn ass ladder, off, kid. kid. Climb your ass off, kid. And he did, but The Undertaker recovered. And, I mean, a lot of respect was gained for Jeff Hardy, storyline-wise, in that match by going up against The Undertaker like that. Yeah, just a van fucking tastic ladder match, and and that and that doesn't happen if Undertaker's not the American badass, not the dead man eating right. uh, the heel that he was. It was just uh, that character is what sold that match. But uh, yeah, we we got off on a tangent there. Yeah, nevertheless, we were down to the top four. Billy Gunn does the, does get eliminated. We're down to the Rock, Kane, and uh, and Austin, and you got to think for some reason. You know, I mean, Kane's not going to win this thing, but yet they eliminate The Rock. Rock gets thrown over the top, and you're like, hold on, extended disbelief is kicking in. Here comes Kane versus Stone Cold. Yeah, this this could definitely be Kane's time. What are they thinking? Are they, are they really going to pull the trigger on him? Uh, however, uh, Stone Cold get Actually, I think it was uh, Kane brings in the chair. Uh, he gets hit with a low blow. Uh, he stumbles out of the ring, goes, goes and grabs a chair, uh, tries to hit Stone Cold with it, and Stone Cold with the old gut kick takes the chair and just uh, goes to town on Kane, and that was the beginning of the end for the Big Red Machine. Yeah, there's a couple of really good chair shots that Kane takes, and he's one of the best at taking a chair shot and not falling and kind of selling that, I'm I'm a big man, you're not going to knock me down, I'm an un, unbeatable type of big man, and he leans against the ropes to set up Austin for a big clothesline over the top, and I mean, it was a really good ending, but this really does break down Kane's career. A guy who will go nearly the whole match dominating, but then give it up to somebody else to take the title and hold the title. One thing I would like to add, though, uh, I have a quick question. Uh, can, can Stone Cold just, does he just not know how to tie his boots? Because I'm pretty sure <laughs> they question. become untied in almost every match that so, he has. Okay, so yeah, almost every big profile match, Stone Cold Steve Learn Austin to tie your in. fucking shoes, Steve. Anytime after 1999, his boots are untied for some goddamn reason. You're right. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> and he always loses a knee brace somehow. I don't know. It's 
he's got some maybe that was part of the charm i don't know maybe it was part of the gimmick i don't know it was all it was all a work we just don't know <laughs> he might be cheap he, he does wear all black <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure he wears the same same trunks every time yeah he travels with the same trunks he never washes them cheap motherfucker but yeah austin uh sorry. yeah austin uh gets the win uh tosses kane out he's going to wrestlemania and then you start to think you know is, is he going to go up against kurt angle and of course at this time the crowd's going bananas uh the new orleans crowd is always a really good crowd if you remember they were the wrestlemania 30 crowd that's right with daniel bryan new orleans is a great crowd they really did this did this well austin was was really drank in by the crowd they were all about it uh, they didn't like the main event uh, singles match between kurt angle and triple h because both of them were kind of pseudo heels so they didn't really like that but uh they were all about Stone Cold. Yeah, and then that crowd, that New Orleans crowd, you know, I, I know it really well. You know, I'm from uh, Louisiana. That That's kind of my Agent. my area. And, and yeah, definitely. Uh, Kenny, cool hands, Kenny Silk, the Cajun Oak. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up on 2K, folks. NBA 2K uh, yeah, 12, yeah. I think. One of the best. Yeah, it was it was 2K. It was 2K 12. Uh he he was one of the best power forwards the Indiana Pacers have ever seen. Anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I know that that area really well. I know that crowd. They are very good, just pure wrestling fans. Uh, they they follow the product. They'll cheer the faces. They'll boo the heels. Uh, they they know a good match when they see it. And they are definitely one of the better crowds uh, when WWE does a pay-per-view there. And you can definitely tell because if a match isn't great, they'll still cheer, but they're not going to give you all their all all their effort. But when it, when you put in the work, they definitely uh, give you give you a good reaction. And you saw that with Stone Cold winning. Uh, some of these other matches that were really solid, yeah, you they saw popped Chris for. Jericho. Yeah, yeah, and then, like I said, with WrestleMania 30, they did the same thing. When Daniel Bryan won, not there was not one person in that crowd that didn't do the yes chant. So uh, it was definitely a good crowd. Yeah, overall, I think they they liked it. Austin gets his third Royal Rumble victory, which is a record. He's the only one to win it three times. I think if anybody deserves that title, it's probably him. He's probably the most over guy who can sell a ticket. Uh, ever so uh, sure if they want to give that to him I'm fine with it because it it, it does lead to a pretty good uh, Wrestlemania 17 match where he goes heel against the rock and even no way out leading up to it is pretty good so um, the booking to end it is pretty good I don't mind Kane you know leaving as the guy who is the last one eliminated but who but who did 90% of the work throughout the match that's just how he is so Overall, the match itself was really good. Yeah, and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the record for most Royal Rumble wins. And I do think that that's something that probably should stay the way it is with him Absolutely. holding the record. Uh, I don't think someone like Cena should should uh, tie that record. I do think Cena should tie the Flair record, but uh, I think the Royal Rumble record should stand for, for a long time. I think Cena will eventually break the the Flair record, but this particular one I think should only be Stone Cold's, just because of the guy he was at the time through the Attitude Era. This should be his for uh, for forever. Absolutely, and uh, like you said, this this set up to a very solid main event at WrestleMania 17 between him and The Rock. You had the 
the much maligned hill turn uh, where he aligns with uh, Vince. However, that did lead to some very good segments. Uh, Stone Cold really put his his heart into trying to be a heel, and yeah, and this, people this led to the him. alliance as well. The, the WWF versus the alliance. It also led to the to the infamous what chance? What? 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 Classic. Absolutely hated it. Uh, he worked as a heel for me because I was never a fan of him. So when he turned heel finally, it was it definitely worked for me. I had oh, yeah. no problems booing exactly because I was always a Rocky guy. So I always hated Stone Cold because he got more reaction from the crowd than The Rock did. So when he went heel, I was all about it because I I mean I've always been a Rock guy. I'll always be a Rock guy. So Austin is a heel, even though I think it didn't work the way they planned. I loved it absolutely, and in fact, I think it made him even more of a face once he once he turned again. And he, he's just not someone the crowd will ever hate. There will never be anyone who will boo him in his life. Yeah, and he deserves that. He's, he's the guy who will sell the most tickets ever. And uh, he deserves this win. Yeah. And in general, he deserves to be the, the name of this pay-per-view and uh, moving on to WrestleMania 17 after this. Yeah, and uh, once again, this was a, a solid pay-per-view. Uh, a lot of the buildup had to do with, with Stone Cold and... At least he was actually a part of the matches this time. Uh, but yeah, all in all, I think this was a very solid pay-per-view. It was uh, one of the better uh, Royal Rumbles of all time. Uh, definitely one of my favorites and that I've watched multiple times. And I, I'm not one for really watching uh, these kind of pay-per-views over and over again. But this is one that I've watched multiple times for sure. Especially when I'm you know, at the gym doing cardio, I like to watch wrestling stuff. And this is one that I'll regularly put on. Yeah, this is a big one for me as well. Uh, this is I call this one the Hardcore Rumble because I love Kane and I love the hardcore weapons being thrown into it and I love Kane going off on this and I even love him being the last one eliminated because I, like I said, it, it just breaks down his whole career. And uh, I just love, I love the whole pay-per-view even though the matches were not as great, especially the Kurt Angle versus Triple H match, but I will watch Jericho and Benoit over and over and over again at every single pay-per-view that they ever do. Absolutely. I, I can't agree with you more on those because, uh, yeah, Chris, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit were always two of my favorites. Uh, they always put on good matches. Kurt Angle, Triple H, they always put on good matches, but this one just didn't didn't really hit all the, all the key notes for me. But all in all, very good pay-per-view, and I, I really enjoyed reviewing this one with you, Bubba. Yeah, this was a good one. I'm glad we picked this one, and I uh, can't wait to move on to the next one. Yeah, and definitely, I'm definitely excited to uh, get in there, uh, do some more research, and uh, <laughs> keep keep moving forward, keep keep doing more reviews, and uh, I definitely look forward to our next one. Really, I just look forward to uh, hanging out and talking wrestling, really. Yeah, we could talk wrestling forever, and we'll uh, have several topic conversations after this one, I'm sure, but uh, nevertheless, it's uh, it's always great to talk with you about this. Yeah, absolutely, and... Uh, this has been our paper review for the Royal Rumble 2001. Let us know what you thought about this pay-per-view in the comments section below, along with any suggestions you have for future shows, uh, pay-per-views you might want us to review, uh, any topics you want us to cover like favorite wrestlers, favorite matches, things like that. Don't forget to like, share, and, sus and subscribe. This has been the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast, and as always, we do this for the love of wrestling, and together we can make wrestling great again.